listening to a podcast from GravityChurch.com, Lodi, California. Check, check, yeah. You guys all heard that sound? That's the sound of our budget right there. So if anybody can buy us a mic cord, that would be awesome. That's what we got to work with right there. It's like, don't throw that away, man. It doesn't work all the time. It works some of the time. Just hang on to it. It's all right. Kind of like us, right? We don't work all the time, just some of the time. But would you guys read this scripture with me? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. It says, Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. Give us our food for today and forgive us our sins. Oh, you don't have the words up there to read with me. I'm sorry. We're waiting for, we're waiting. That's the sound of our budget again, right there. There we go. All right. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. Give us our food for today and forgive us our sins just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the last month and a half or so, we have been talking at great lengths about this situation that we find all of ourselves facing. The situation that I'm talking about is the fact that everywhere we look, everywhere we um, open our eyes and open our ears, we become aware, if we're looking for and listening for, two distinctly different kingdoms that are at work. We have on the side, you can see this banner hanging, the kingdom of light, God's kingdom, the kingdom that is full of everything that represents God and his goodness and his majesty. Over here, we see the kingdom of darkness and everything evil and everything destructive and everything that you look at in your life and you go, that is dark, that is, that is black, that is, that is destructive in nature. And right in the middle of these two kingdoms, light and darkness, right in the middle, we find you and, our, and myself. We're smack dab in the middle of these two kingdoms that are very active, that are always doing things, that are very much focused on you and me. They are very interested in your day-to-day life, believe it or not. Both of these kingdoms are very focused on who you are and on what you do. The kingdom of darkness wants nothing more than to keep you far from the kingdom of light. And we have learned through extensive study and going through scripture after scripture that everything about the kingdom of light is focused upon us connecting with God and being rescued from the kingdom of darkness. A few weeks ago, we talked about this concept of temptation. We talked about the story in the Bible where Satan and, and, and Jesus literally had a face-to-face encounter where Jesus had gone out into the wilderness where nobody was and for 40 days, he didn't eat or drink anything. And Satan came and tempted him during this period of time. And during this interaction, we learned as we read scripture that Satan was really at his core trying to get Jesus to do the very same thing that Satan tries to get you and I to do all the time. And that is to make something other than God the ultimate in our life. 
to make something other than God the focus of our worship, to make something other than God the thing that we look to to give us identity and satisfaction and the things in life that we think make us happy. He doesn't have to do something that's blatantly demonic or destructive. All he has to do is get us to believe the subtle lie that money will make you happy and get you to turn your focus from the kingdom of light and onto the pursuit of something other, and he's one. To get you to turn your pursuit to a person, a relationship, a situation. To get you to turn your, your attention toward something other than what God is and what God has for us. And when he does that, the kingdom of darkness is slowly luring us away. So tonight we're going to look at one of the ways, as we've looked at several, but one of the ways that God has not only just made provision and a way to keep this from happening, but that God had a plan that completely blows away anything that Satan had going for him. In the, in the Bible, in the book of Luke, it says in verse 14, this is a story of Jesus coming out of that moment when he was tempted by Satan. He goes and gets tempted, and as soon as that temptation is over, we pick up in the story in verse 14, and it says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. He goes out and gets tempted, and as soon as he leaves that, that interaction with Satan, that temptation moment, the Bible says he's filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Soon, Jesus became well-known throughout the surrounding country. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll containing the messages of Isaiah the prophet were handed to him and unrolled the scroll to the place where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. Everyone in the synagogue stared at him intently. And then Jesus said these words, This scripture has come true today before your very eyes. This moment, when Jesus goes into this church and Jesus unrolls the scripture and Jesus begins to read from it, the passage of scripture that he reads from, you have to understand what it meant to them and to their culture. This was a prophecy that from the time that they were born and raised in the Jewish tradition, that they looked at the moment when this prophecy would come true. Why? Because these were people who were very familiar with being oppressed. These were a, a group of people that were very familiar with being taken away from their homeland, put into captivity, and become slaves of somebody else. They knew what it was like to be beat down. They knew what it was like for somebody to abuse them. They saw injustice right in front of their face all day long. They knew what it was, and so they pinned their hope on this prophecy that someday the Messiah would come and set them free. That someday someone would come and be their liberator. That someone someday would come and give them a better life. Now you and I sit here tonight 
And if we're honest with ourselves, we have been through many situations where we too have felt the pain of injustice in our life, where we too have been through situations that we wish somebody would rescue us from. We've been raised in families where alcoholism was rampant and the words that were spoken in drunken rages damaged our souls to the point to where we didn't even know who we really were. Some of us in this room have been violated sexually in ways that should never, ever even be thought of, yet alone done. And we sit here today thinking, I wish someone could have rescued me. Some of us in this room battle with addiction so heavy and so hard that we can barely get through the day without taking something to try to change our situation, to try to make our life feel different than what our reality really is. And we say, somebody has got to rescue me because if they don't, I will never make it. I will never survive. And when Jesus stands up and he reads this, this passage of scripture to these people, the very thing that they were dying to get, the very thing that they were looking for was standing right in front of them when he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled right in front of you. But they couldn't see it and they couldn't recognize it, and they couldn't let it help them. And some of you here tonight have never been to church before. Some of you have been here for a few times, and you're just like, you know, I just don't get it. I don't know if this whole thing is for me. And you too heard us talk about a Messiah, a Savior, a a, a person, Jesus, that came to rescue you, and you too say, It just can't be true. Not for me. Maybe for somebody else that's got a better life that hasn't done what I've done, but not not for me. This scripture that Jesus quoted, I want you to hear what it says. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because God, he has anointed me to preach the good news or the gospel is what that word means to the poor. Who are the poor among us? Who are the poor? Well, we, we, we are in a very impoverished neighborhood right here. We walk outside these doors where many of us live and we see poverty every single day. We see poverty and we know what it looks like. We know what it feels like. We don't have money. We don't have resources. And if I were to say, who is the poor among us? You would say, well, I'm poor. But that's not who Jesus is talking about. The poor that Jesus is talking about It's much more subtle than just not having any money. The poor that Jesus is referring to are the ones that know that without somebody coming and rescuing me, I don't stand a chance. I need help. I need someone other than me to fix me. I cannot do it. The scripture says that God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who realize their need for him. And he gives it all to you. The entire kingdom of heaven is yours. But sadly, as we talked last week, many people will not abandon the pursuit of themselves 
and abandon the pursuit of what they think will make them happy and abandon the things of this life that they think will fulfill their need. They will not for any reason abandon that pursuit because they are convinced that they can take care of themselves. In other words, they are convinced that they don't need God, that they don't need help. And so God comes into this struggle with you and I, and he says, you need me, and I've come for you. One of the beautiful things about the Bible that I love, it shows it over and over and over again, is that God relates in Scripture to us as his family. God talks about the family relationship all over the place. He talks about fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. He talks about himself as wanting to be our father. And as we look at these two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and we see the struggle for what is going on, you have to know is that really this is a struggle for God's family. This is a family issue. This is about family. Now, I know that if I say family, just the word, that for many of us, that brings up some really bad images. But for some of us, family means a lot. But I want you to know that there's something inside of every single one of us. I don't care who you are. I don't care how jacked up your family is. There's something in all of us that longs for family, that longs to be a part of something that is connected through blood and through the name. There's something in all of us that longs to have that safe place of being in a family. And in the Bible, God longs for that too. And in the book of Romans, I want to share a cool scripture with you. It says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, Jesus, so that his son, Jesus, would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. The firstborn. How many of you here, by a show of hands, is the oldest in your family? Big brother, big sister, yeah, we got a pretty good representation of that. Well, then the rest of you, just close your ears for a second because I need to talk to my peeps right here, okay? <laughs> Being the firstborn is tough, man. It is, uh, it's not easy. You're the first at everything in family. And if you've got a lot of siblings, I was talking to Tracy earlier and she was telling me she's got six brothers and sisters in her family and The larger the family and you're at the top of the heap, the worse I think it is. Because mom and dad are so hard on you when you come out and they're just like, you can't do anything and you always got to do this. I mean, you're just everything. By the time they get three or four under their belt, they don't even care anymore. And you're looking at them just going, what happened? Why are they getting such an easy ride? What happened with me? And you feel this pain and this injustice and all this stuff. But being the firstborn is something else too. Being the firstborn or the oldest brings with it a sense of responsibility and a sense of pride and a sense of wanting to keep the family together, of wanting to be there for your family. You want to be the example sometimes. Sometimes the firstborn is the bad example. And so the brothers and sisters go, we don't want to be like you, but at least you're still an example. Just jacked up being the firstborn, I'm telling you. But the Bible refers to Jesus as the firstborn. I've I just love that. And and God the Father desires for him to have many 
brothers and sisters. That's us. We come into the family of God. The thing is, it's so beautiful is that many times we fail to see the dynamic at play having Jesus be our older brother. Think about that for a second. Think about what that means to the relationship that we have with God, our Father in heaven, to have Jesus be our older brother. I've got three sons. You guys all know them running around here. And um, I was raised in a, a family that had parents that were kept me around church and, and everything too. And so I know what it's like to have kids that make the parents look like they're absolute idiots as, as parents. So I just want you all to know that anything that you see my kids do, make sure the camera's on me right here, right, right now. I want this on the internet too. Anything that my kids do, I absolutely take no responsibility for. They are completely on their own. I, I just, I know what it's like, you know, and I know it's not supposed to be that way, but trust me, it is that way. And especially if you're a pastor at a church, forget it, man. I'm not taking responsibility for anything they do. So if you see them doing something, don't bother telling me because that's, that's their deal. You take care of it, okay? You see it, you take care of it. That's the way it works. But all joking aside, this concept of having Jesus be our older brother, we read a few weeks ago about how Jesus came and became one of us so that we would have this familiar place with God, that there would be no fear whatsoever of coming to God. Well, take it a step further tonight. And if you are not the oldest tonight, then think of your older brother or sister and think of what you used to think of them before you really knew them. But think of what you used to think of them when you were growing up and thought about what kind of dynamic they had. They could get away with whatever, that you would go to them as a safe place. You would say, hey, you go and do this. You go and take me there. You be my big brother or sister. And in a healthy family, that relationship can be very beautiful. Jesus wants us to see him as the one that takes us to our Father. Jesus wants us to see him as the one that steps in between and says, you want to know, Dad? Come on, I'll show you. I'll show you what he's like. Jesus is that familiar place to us. And when Jesus stepped into this church service that day and he read the to the congregation these words from the prophet Isaiah, what he was saying to them is that there is a place for everyone in our family. The gospel of Jesus says loudly, there's a place for everyone in our family. The poor, the captives, everyone, there is room for you. There's room for you. In these two kingdoms, we have seen this picture Put this next picture up for me, Chris. We see this picture of this black sphere that we talked about representing the world that we live in and how it is under darkness. How everything that we see that is related to darkness is because of the fact that Satan has his rule and his reign and his complete chaos going on everywhere that we look. But then we look at this picture of a crown which represents God and the kingdom of God coming right down smack dab in the middle of this darkness and we see this light beginning to explode. And when we go back to this passage of scripture where Jesus stands up before the congregation, he begins to read this scripture about coming for the captives and the poor and the blind. 
Jesus was standing in front of this church service saying, today, light has come into the darkness. Today, through me, I have invaded the darkness that you have known your whole lives, and I am coming to set you free. I have come to change things. And last week, we talked about the fact that when Jesus died on a cross for us and Jesus came back to life, that at that moment, everything changed. And from then on, it became this power struggle between darkness and light and everything in between. And you and I find ourselves here tonight. And those of us that find ourselves being able to understand that we have been rescued from the darkness and we have brought in, been brought into the light and we have been brought into God's family, we now stand here tonight with a newfound understanding and an awesome responsibility and obligation of enforcing the victory on Calvary. As a matter of fact, every follower of Christ is a member of an occupational force right here on earth, which has one purpose, to enforce the victory of Calvary. That we are supposed to be the ones that go back into the dark places and say to the world that still needs to know, things have changed and freedom can be yours. You do not have to stay where you are. You do not have to stay in the hell that you live in. God wants to bring you out. And that's where we stand and that's where we come in. The gospel stands right here at the center of these two kingdoms and it says, we are here for the hopeless. We are here for the captives. We are here to make wrongs right. We are here to be the ones that carry the gospel, which means good news to those that still need it the most. But how many of you know that it's not that cut and dry. There's two kingdoms. There's two very active kingdoms. And the kingdom of darkness does not want for you and I to be part of the light. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says to us tonight, be careful. Watch out for attacks from the devil. He's your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. Take a firm stand against him and be strong in your faith. I was talking to somebody this last week and we were, we were praying and I was talking to her. She said something to me that just stuck with me and I had to share it tonight. She says, I want to get to a place to where I hear God's voice louder than I hear the sarcasm of Satan. Have you ever heard Satan's sarcasm? I'm so tired of that voice. I'm so tired of listening to it. I'm so tired of hearing it everywhere that I go. The sarcastic tone that says, God doesn't care enough. God doesn't love you like he loves so-and-so. This one right here, Jason, is just a little too big for God. Don't bother him with it. Take care of this one yourself. Yeah, the financial side, God's not really worried that you don't have enough money to pay the bills. Tough. You're on your own. I hate his sarcasm. I hate it when I listen to it. I hate it when I hear it and I don't recognize it. The Bible says that Satan is looking for somebody he can lie to. That's where his power is. See, guys, that 
the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, everything's changed. When Jesus came and he died for us and he gave us that way out, he stripped Satan of all of his power. He can't screw with you anymore. He cannot hurt you anymore. Death has been defeated. We sang a song about the marvelous light tonight, about how it's been stripped. And I am no longer afraid unless I listen to his lies. If I listen to his lies, I empower him. I empower him. Some of us here tonight, as we wrestle with ourselves, we read a few weeks ago in the book of James how temptation really is a struggle inside of us. It's when our desires wrestle internally with themselves. You want to know where addiction comes from? You want to know where temptation to do the wrong things comes from? It doesn't come from something out here that just walks by and we go, ooh, I got to have that. No, it's inside of us and Satan uses us against ourselves. And he tries to get us to listen to his lies. And when we do, we empower him. We give him power over us. We got to stop. There's hope for us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. It says a final word. Be strong with the Lord's mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies and tricks of the devil. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. It says, use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy in the time of evil so that after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes Put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In every battle, you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows that are aimed at you by Satan. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times and on every occasion in the power of the Holy Spirit. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all Christians everywhere. This passage of scripture talks about us being able to put on God, to be able to surround ourselves completely from head to toe with God and his strength and his power. It does not say anywhere that you and I possess power in and of ourselves. See, this whole concept of coming to God as poor is understanding our need for him and then letting him Put him on us. And we clothe ourselves with God. And when the attacks come, we don't think, I just need more willpower. I just need to think stronger. I just need to just know. We run to God. We run to our rescue. We run and we say, God, you got to rescue me. Put me inside of you. Surround me with yourself and your spirit and with the armor of God. It's so cool that it talks about standing your ground. It's so cool that it says, when you get attacked, put on the armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm. Like nothing is gonna move you. 
You're going to be able to stand firm and not lose your ground, be able to resist. And then it takes it a step further, and it says that God wants us to put on shoes, the peace of God. Put on shoes that represent the peace of God. And he says, and then you'll be able to stand firm, and nothing will move you around. You'll be able to endure. In other words, what it says is what are you standing on right now? What are you standing on? Because God is telling us that he wants us to put shoes of his peace on, to be able to stand on Jesus, to be able to stand on the peace that comes from God and to be able to come to the confident place of knowing that no matter what comes against me, I will stand firm because of the peace of God. How many of you could use some peace in your life? I could use tons of peace in my life. God offers it to us tonight, the peace of God. He offers it to us. And he says, you can have it, all of it. I'm gonna invite the band to come up. Would you pray with me? Just bow your heads right where you're at. God, right now, as we talk about the peace of God, Lord, I ask that you would make your peace something more than just a word on a page. God, I pray that you would make your peace tangible, that you would make your peace something, God, that we would recognize in our lives as something that keeps us from being moved backwards. God, we're tired of moving backwards. We're tired of taking three steps forward and two steps backward, God. Let your peace be the very thing that makes us immovable. It's our heart, God, to put you on tonight. If you're here tonight, and there's something that's going on inside of you right now, and maybe you've never felt this way before because you're not familiar with this kind of scene or this environment, but you're feeling like you need to respond or you need to do something, I want to just encourage you that God is answering the prayer that you said earlier. You said, I want to know the love of God. And you said, God, if you love me, show me. And God is showing you his love right now. He stirs our hearts. He makes us feel things that maybe we haven't felt in a long time. But God is here. And he desires to be close to you. He desires to be a friend to you, a savior to you, the one that you can run to tonight. And we're going to come and we're going to come to these communion tables tonight. We're going to open our hearts up to God. We're going to let him talk to us. We're going to let him be close to us as we just turn our attention, as we just turn our focus, as we just turn everything that we are towards him and give him a moment and just give him us completely. I want to invite you guys to come. Just take this bread and take this, ju this juice. And go find a place to get real with God. Go find a place to be with Him now.
You've been listening to GravityChurch.com.